24 June 2022, a monumental day in the Supreme Court of the United States of America, a 50-year-old precedent of Roe v. Wade, otherwise known as the abortion case, had been repealed. Contrary to what was being reported in much of the mainstream media, the decision did not take away any rights from anyone. It simply shifted the burden of creating laws relating to abortions and the safety of unborn children back to the jurisdictions of the individual states, as it should be. For 50 years, a judicial decree made by seven unelected Supreme Court justices created a constitutional right based on the concept of substantive due process, a vague and fluid concept that had been used to adopt the social-cultural trends of the day into laws. Should the highest court of the land be allowed to create laws based on the development of the culture of the day? Is that even the business of the Supreme Court? That is a discussion for another time. The following episode was actually recorded prior to the decision of this case, and I had a very special guest as we discussed not so much about abortion itself, but the root issues behind the matter, as well as destruction that comes from broken relationships and families. So very good day to all of you listeners out there. Today I have a very special guest, Michelle Lau from Cebu. Welcome Michelle to the show. Hello, hello. And if you can believe it, it's 12.45 a.m. This is really a midnight recording. And, you know, we talk about role case in the monologue and, you know, the whole issue about abortions. But I want to start off quickly with this question before we even talk about why you're here in KL, okay? And it's when we talk about truth and equity. And most people in this generation, I'm talking about the young people, they seem to equate truth with liberal ideas. So things, you know, usually pushed by the leftist educational institution, the media, so in the context of abortions, they will usually say it is a choice of women. I think that's what we have been hearing most of the time, right? My body, my choice. Is that what you are hearing also in terms of the discussions on abortion? Yes, unfortunately. And they talk about women's empowerment. And now we'll talk about that a bit later. But you have been a lawyer for a long time and also family law. Remember, you know, I started with your firm many years ago. Mm. I even did some family law, some divorce law. Mm. I mean, not very good with that. But from your experience, could you break it down for us? What is the purpose of family law? What is the purpose of divorce law? Because, I mean, it is there to protect the weak one, right? Always. Mm. The law always aims to protect the weak. Yeah. And family law is really there. Well, I find that the name is not very appropriate. Mm -hmm. It says family, but it's really the breakdown of family. Mm. So divorce law is all about couples separating and splitting up and the courts are there to make that legal. Yeah, I remember, you know, when we are dealing with divorce and, you know, if you want to split the property, you want to, you know, commercial terms, you know, we can just kind of say, you take this, you take that. But with children, with emotion, you, you can't just split it like that, right? I mean, those are not so, you know, they're, they're more intangible. And so maybe, you know, family law is really more to protect the children in many ways. Yes, that is the main purpose. The courts will always try to protect the children, 
But at the end of it all, we find that it is the children that suffer the most. Mm -hmm. I actually spend a lot of time with my clients to go through the human part of it. Yep. And many times they don't even know it. Mm. And I sometimes can end up much more concerned about the children than the parents themselves. Because all that they can see in front of them is, I just want to get away from my spouse. And that is just so sad. It's horrible. And I have to remind them over and over again, it's about your children. The courts only care about your children mm -hmm. because you're adults. You can take care of yourselves. You hate each other. You don't want to be with each other anymore. That's fine. But what about the children? So these days, of course, the court will make certain presumption, right? If the children are of certain age, you know, maybe they should follow the mother. And, you know, once they are a bit older, maybe in the teenage year, they have certain say. But it's just so difficult because even the judges, they are not quite well equipped in terms of analyzing the dynamic and all of a sudden it's a decision day. They just have to make a decision which will have impact over the children for maybe the rest of their life. Yes. Well, at least until they're of age, mm -hmm. which could be 18 or sometimes even more. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, the judges, I've seen so many judges throughout my years of practice and yep. you get some Honestly, some more Christian judges yep. and their decisions are more based on the heart. Mm -hmm. They will feel for the family, feel for the children. But then you get some judges who are just by the book and yep. they don't care. They just say, I grant you the order of divorce. Mm -hmm. And whatever terms you're asking for, ordered and that's it. Yeah, because the mutual one, they just follow. I mean, by law, the judge are supposed to follow the recommendation, right? I mean, what whatever the parties you're agree. For, because you both agree. Mm. But then I have seen judges that stop them and say, you can't do that. And then they try and adjust. So it is within their power to adjust, right? To an extent, they can. But then, do you know the sad part? So many divorces end up with many of the parties not following what the court has ordered. Mm -hmm. What they themselves put on paper, they don't do it. Especially when it comes to maintenance of the children. Yep. They don't really pay. The husbands don't really pay. This is the shocking thing in Malaysia. And is there any way to, to kind of compel enforcement or performance? Yes, the law provides for mm. it, but it's a long-winded process. Mm. And it's like, usually it's the husband that has to pay for the maintenance yep. because the wife will take the children. Then the wife has to go back to court, pay another sum of money to the lawyers and to the court to apply again. And they apply and then... This is only stage one. Mm -hmm. And the husband will say, yeah, okay, I'll pay it this way and yep. make some arrangement with the court. It is recorded in another order of the yep. court. And then he fails to pay. Then she's got to go back again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's like his failure, if you read the law carefully, has to be 12 months or more. Yep. Continuously not paying. So let's say he pays you four months, he stops four months or even longer. If it's not 12 months in a row, there's not much the wife can do. Yep. And then only if he continues to not follow what the court has ordered, then the court will send him to prison. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. They'll yeah. usually pay up after that. So, so the wife usually needs to have pretty deep pocket. And recently, did you read the news? Boris Becker, mm -hmm. I think the professional tennis player. So now he was sent to prison for breaching the bankruptcy law. But what started the whole process of him becoming a bankrupt was failure to pay maintenance. Oh my. And, yes. and usually the guys who could not do that, it is because they have multiple relationships, multiple families. Mm. And we, we know that, for example, you know, the place we both came from, Cebu, it, it is such a common, common thing. And in fact, at one time, 
Cebu, I think, had the highest divorce rate. I'm not sure in Malaysia or is it in a state? One of the highest yes, rate. Yes, uh, the court staff told me. Mm-hmm. So they do these cases every year. And the number of cases in Cebu is the highest. Mm. Shocking, shocking. And, and that has to do with, with the economy. You know, remember there was a season where many of the men were away to timber camp. So we have the issue of, you know, father not being at home. Yes. And I know you have been a counselor, you know, in, in terms of teaching family values from a legal, but also social point of view. I mean, how, how big is an impact for missing father or missing mother within a family? Huge, absolutely huge. You look at a place like Cebu, unfortunately Cebu is called the gangster town. (laughs) And we realized that one of the reasons, a major reason is because of the missing father. The father is either away, like you say, working in a timber camp or overseas to earn more money. And he comes home maybe once a year Mm -hmm. or once a month. I've heard many stories of that. Or he is separated from the mum by divorce. Yep. Uh, separated from the children too so they hardly see him and as a result you see a whole well not just one generation but several Mm. generations of children growing up without their father so they're all fatherless to Mm. that extent and so they're looking these children especially the boys they're looking for the father figure and in looking for the father figure they will usually join some gang in town Mm -hmm. and the gangster head becomes like their Father, yeah. inverted commas. Mm-hmm. And that is why it's so prevalent. So there's a reason for everything that happens everywhere. And this is where it's really, really sad. And this is one of the issues that is very much on my heart. Mm-hmm. So I teach a lot on this, yeah. uh, especially about how fathers really need to rise up strong and really be the strong father, the loving father, the father who is around for the children all the time. And so it is a very big thing. It's a practical thing that we teach, but we do teach it from a spiritual point of view. Mm-hmm. We teach it from a very natural, practical point yep. of view too. And the good news is it works. Mm-hmm. It really works. And you are in KL this weekend because you are doing this kind of training precisely, right? Yes. We're training not just young people this weekend. Mm. We're also training adults, yep. parents, even grandparents to some extent, uncles, aunties, teachers, counsellors, whoever works with young people. Mm -hmm. And we want to teach young people even what dating is about, whether they should start dating from a young age or not, and whether dating is the Mm. way to go. And we'll even talk about sex. It's like, what's the right way? What's not the right Mm. way? What is God's way? What is human's way? Et cetera, et cetera. So it's really interesting. We've been to all kinds of places to teach this. We've been to schools churches, tuition centers, universities, colleges, even private homes Mm -hmm. that invited us. We've done it in just any area where people will invite us. And always the young people come up to us and say, we thank you so much for this. And we even have young people who say, I wish I had heard this earlier Mm. or I should have heard it earlier because it changed their lives. And they agree to literally, they themselves decide that the right way should be, I should not start all this too early. Yep. And they wish they had this alternative years before mm-hmm. they heard it. So it is a much needed kind of topic, much needed teaching, much needed guidance that most people are seeking. That's mm-hmm. the good news. Yeah, I know we started off the show by talking about abortion, but really, you know what you just said and shared 
just now, really that's the root issue of the whole thing. Because, you know, abortion comes because of unwanted pregnancy. But why is that happening? And it is because young people are, are trying to find some sort of release, some sort of validation of their emotions. And one of the things we were just discussing just now before the recording was, you know, when we talk about boy-girl relationship dating, it's not just the physical aspect. So much of, of the teaching that you are doing is on the emotion also, you know, yes. how to deal with the emotion. And so do you agree that in terms of, now, of course, you know, young people having unprotected sex, those kind of things is just being around for a long time already because that is one of the root issues for unwanted pregnancies and abortions. Mm. But do you agree that the need for the emotions of the young people, you know, because we're talking about the fatherless, the motherless situation, the family breakdown, all those contribute to perhaps a generation needing a validation. And maybe that's why they are just kind of, I don't want to say prone, but they are just maybe more open in terms of being, allowing their emotions to lead them to the place of this sort of activities. We have found over the years that there are several reasons contributing mm -hmm. to it. One of those is, of course, the breakdown of the marriage, yeah. the family. Mm -hmm. And actually, these young people are looking for a mother figure or mm -hmm. a father figure. And they try and look for a girlfriend or a boyfriend really yeah. for the to fill the emptiness inside yeah. caused by the missing mother or the missing father. Mm -hmm. And so they'll go and look for a girlfriend, a boyfriend to try and you know, hoping to get some love out of them. And that mm. love usually turns into all this sex before marriage. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they get pregnant and then they want the abortions, etc. Mm. But of course, the other reason is because of all the social influence, yeah. of all the influence on TV, the internet and everywhere, that sex is so free. Mm. And so they go and do all this. Some are due to peer pressure. Yeah. And some just due to, you know, if, if I don't have a boyfriend, if I'm not sleeping with my boyfriend, then I'm not beautiful enough. Mm. I'm not wanted. And it's just peer pressure, yep. social pressure, or even societal pressure to do it. And so unfortunately, even Malaysia is getting mm. more and more into this kind of thing, which used to be a Western issue. Yeah, but right. now in Malaysia, it's becoming way too common. We talk about peer pressure. We talk about people just going have a good time and having unprotected sex. I mean, this, all these are nothing new, but what's new is really abortion. I mean, in terms of people kind of like treating it so casually. Mm. Because, I mean, I would say in my parents' generations, nobody will consider abortion. I mean, you talk about whatever race in Malaysia, Chinese, Indians, Malay, the native, it's just not culturally acceptable in terms of abortion. I mean, you have unprotected sex throughout the history of mankind, but yet all of a sudden abortion has become mainstream. Okay, now we want to get into the discussion. But before that, let's just go to some of the basic things. Okay, in terms of the situation in Malaysia, from a legal perspective, abortion is actually illegal in Malaysia? Well, the law has made it to become more legal now. Mm -hmm. If a medical practitioner, basically a doctor, deems that it is for the woman's physical and mental health. Yeah, mental is the interesting part, right? Yes, that she should get an abortion. And then the doctor can actually just go ahead and perform it. I think just now we were talking about it and it's talking about as long as it is in good faith, right? So 
It's like who determines the mental capacity. Yeah, it's like the doctor says so and that's it. I mean, do you find that law? I mean, I didn't realize the law was drafted in such a way because we always just kind of presume it's illegal. Everyone says it's illegal. Mm, most people think that. But the exemption makes it so easily applicable. Yes, I am shocked that a nation like Malaysia would have a law like that to make it so easy because before that, the Malaysian law actually says the woman's life must be in danger. Mm-hmm. Now, that's quite a high standard. Yep. And then to bring it down so low as the doctor is of the opinion that it's necessary for her physical health and mental health mm-hmm. to have the abortion. It's like, what standard would that be? Is yep. the doctor even qualified to make a mental assessment of this patient? Or even a physical, mm. well, the doctor, hopefully he or she should be qualified to assess, but then... At what level? It's like physical in what way? It's no longer life endangering, mm. it seems. But then what's your level of physical health that yeah. you would need an abortion? So the standard has been pulled down really low. And that is where all that more modern day push for abortions is just happening in Malaysia. It's a very sad thing for Malaysia, actually. Because as we talk about abortions, I really need to say this. We're actually talking about murder. Yep. Now, some people, if you're hearing this, you might say, what? Murder? Well, it is murder. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there's been a lot of misunderstanding and even, I would say, deception going around. Oh, it's just a blob of blood. Yep. You know, it's not life yet. But you've got to know when the sperm and the egg come together, mm-hmm. life begins right there. That's right. So you cannot say it's just a blob of blood. Now, where did this expression blob of blood come from? Would mm-hmm. you believe it? It was from my grandmother's generation. Mm-hmm. I know what you were saying that in the past, abortion wasn't so prevalent. But then there was this group of, would you believe, Christian women mm-hmm. in my grandmother's generation who thought it was all right to terminate life. As Even as early as that generation. Even as early as my grandmother's generation, Mm. which would be something like 40, 50 years ago. So was that even culturally accepted at that time? I wouldn't say it is culturally accepted. So I know the position Mm. that you were, you know, where you were coming from to say that it's not acceptable. Yes, I would agree. But it was surprisingly, it was like... There was a movement already, even then. Yes, quite prevalent among, you know, this group of Christian women who thought it was okay Mm -hmm. because they were never taught this even in church or by anyone else that abortion is pure murder Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. this life has happened this miraculous life has taken place in your body as a woman but then you determine that oh i'm going to end it for whatever reason maybe Mm -hmm. finances or you know you just have too many children etc and then they go ahead and do it and i am so shocked and And that's exactly what happened in America after Mm -hmm. the Roe versus Wade case. Yes. That it just opened the floodgates to women to think that they can be so sexually active in or out of marriage and they can do whatever the heck they want with their body. And then if they get pregnant, it's just a such an inconvenience Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And then they can just terminate it. And so across America, what we are looking at is just literally generations of murder of millions of babies. And now we're seeing this being pushed, this same, I would call it an evil agenda, is being pushed in a nation like Malaysia, Mm -hmm. where 
people and even doctors and even the government by the looks of that law have been pushing this agenda of abortion is okay and let's make it easier for people to get an abortion. And of course, don't forget the money part of it, right? Mm -hmm. There will always be people who will take that kind of a law and make money out of it. It's just easy, quick money. But then the thing that it produces is literally, we've got to get our thinking right on this. It's literally mass murder. Mm -hmm. Mass murder of millions of babies in the US and goodness knows how many more in Malaysia in the years to come, if not already. So it's just horrible when a nation is built on that, when our values become that, which has never been what Malaysia is all about. You know, some people will say, oh, you know, this is your this is your religious opinion and things like that. But even from the legal point of view, you know, we are seeing, you know, slavery is being abolished. We are seeing uh, rights of minority being recognized. But all of a sudden, when it comes to life, we seem to regress, you know, because we're supposed to protect the the innocent. So uh, I just find that inconsistency. I mean, let's not even talk about faith. I mean, even from the legal point of view, mm-hmm. it's a regression. Yes. And of course, I think in terms of worldwide influence, Roe's case, I think, has a big impact. But just from your description of the current position in Malaysia, it, it seems like, I mean, we talk about in the past 20, 30 years, how many criminal persecution, I, I think you, you pointed out there was only one, right? One. One. Not even of a, not prosecution of a mm. doctor. A criminal case yep. was not even brought against a doctor, but against a woman, the woman who got the abortion. And, and the case eventually was even was, reversed. She got acquitted on appeal, meaning no case, no case, even against her. So really Malaysia has become so liberal in that yep. sense. So it's literally like, the Malaysian government is saying, yay, it's okay to get an abortion, everyone. Yay, go for it. Yeah, it's like an implicit kind of approval. Yes, Would unfortunately. You say? Yeah, my wife, of course, you know, she appeared on a show a few weeks ago. She's a doctor. And she would say that abortion is more common than you think. And yes. especially early stage. And, you know, those days, of course, in Klein Valley, we know, you know, there's a proximity of colleges. You know, we have metropolitans, tailors, you know, near Subant. And they were saying that there were literally thousands of abortions every week. I mean, these are from social workers. We don't really have evidence. But you just imagine around the area, clinics, so many clinics in SS15. I would say it's something that has been done and it's just so rampant. But how do we now? I want to come back to this issue because you mentioned about money and one of the examples I can think of, you know, because... Slavery, you know, you know, we know the history of slavery is really pushed by the British. You know, the British, uh, of course, they were infamous for many, many bad things they did around the world, <laughs> but they were well known for a month the one recognizing the equitable part of the law. You know, the, the English law equity is really one of the most advanced human rights mm. law. You know, it's the foundation of human rights law in the whole world. Mm. I'm sure you heard William Wilberforce before, and he. He was really a champion against slavery. Mm. And he was a very realistic person. He knew he had to change the law, but also the financial part of it. When we talk about my body, my choice, you know, earlier we're having this discussion, Mm -hmm. it just reminds me of the whole COVID, you know, the last two years. All of a sudden, my body is not my choice. I mean, we have seen mandate all around the world. Now, why am I linking all these things? Because... The vaccine, I mean, we have been talking about vaccine a lot in this show. Mm -hmm. It has to do with money. It's like whenever there's money, 
there is that policy. So in fact, would you agree that, I mean, coming back to abortion, the relaxation of the law, you know, the, okay, I won't even say relaxation of the law. It's really the relaxation of the attitude mm. towards life. And it has to do with money. And maybe, you know, there are strong lobby from medical practitioner. Mm. I don't know. Yes. I mean, I don't want to start a conspiracy, but mm. it seems like good earning for a lot of clinics. Unfortunately for some, that mm. would be definitely the case. But definitely if we look at America in terms of the role case, because that case created a federal right of abortion. I mean, we haven't reached there, but there are some people who wanted the same in Malaysia. Now, in the Muslim-majority nation, you, you are always going to struggle to, to be so open about that. But that's what the Supreme Court in Roe decided. And we started to have organizations like Planned Parenthood. You know, they are into billion-dollar kind of business. Mm. And of course, then we, we talk about COVID, we talk about Pfizer, you know, so many people are, are saying that before COVID, Pfizer was struggling already because many of their patents are expiring and they are looking for ways to make money. I mean, this is the history of mankind. People are always looking for opportunity to, to cash. Mm -hmm. Now, what I want, maybe for, for you to share a little bit, you know, we, we talk about the power of cash and our ex-prime minister has a slogan, cash is king. Remember he came to Cebu and, and talked about I mean, one of the most shocking things he ever said before he was prime minister, he said, if you help me, I will help you. Remember mm. that? You help me, I help you. And, and that's just so prevalent. And Malaysian, we, we are like kind of so thick-skinned, we don't even get embarrassed by that kind of statement. I know we are diverting our way, but I know you have a great passion also in terms of proper governance. We don't waste resources and things like that. Mm -hmm. How do you think we can tackle this? You know, I, I know this is a big issue, but... Just some of the things that come off your mind, you know, what can people do to really, is it a mindset thing, you know, in terms of money is so powerful. I've seen so many people when they look at, in terms of we need to change our nation, they just felt like it's impossible. So many people. Is it a mindset thing? Is it a historical thing? Or is it something else, you know? What do you think? It, it, it's absolutely a mindset thing. Mm -hmm. We've Malaysians have become so, unfortunately complacent mm -hmm. or I think we could find a, an even worse description yep. we've become so complacent in having bad government and yet we put up <laughs> with it and it's like life just goes on and everybody does their own thing and they don't care and nobody ever tries to fight for the greater good yep. it's all about as long as I've got money in my pocket I'll be alright mm -hmm. when did a nation sink so low yep. that as long as I get money it doesn't matter about the moral issue, the spiritual issue, the natural issue, whatever. Yep. It doesn't matter. It's like for Malaysians, we've come to the point where literally money becomes king. Mm -hmm. And as long as the end result is money, the end justifies the means, whatever yep, yep. the means is. And people don't even blink. They don't blink an eyelid to say, oh, my goodness, that's murder. Oh, mm. my goodness, abortion is murder. Oh, my goodness, that's corruption. Oh, my goodness, that's bad governance bad government, evil government even, etc., yeah. etc. Et That's under-table business, under-table money, etc. Right. People don't even care anymore. It's like, mm. yeah, yeah, that's fine. As long as you get money in your pocket. I mean, when did we sink so low as a nation, as a society, where there's no more reasoning? Yeah. When did we lose our ability to reason, mm -hmm. even our ability to be human? Yeah. And everything is just centered around money. 
that's really like unfortunately a barbarian society mm -hmm. that anything goes as long as there's money and money can buy you out of any trouble yep, yep. money and position can buy you out of any trouble so yes we're going far you know we're moving away from the topic of abortion but then <laughs> it's part of a greater evil that's right and that greater evil is like growing by the minute by the day in malaysia and it really has to stop and it really has to come to the point where you know we've been talking about this a long time and that is we've got to get in a new government mm. a good government a godly government yep. people who really have the fear of god in them even if they're not very spiritual or very religious it's just people who are morally upright how did we lose all mm. of that and yet we still go on with life as usual and not try to even make a comment about it saying yeah. that's not right people i was so used to the evil you know it's like yeah. it doesn't cause us to even blink a little mm. bit now it's interesting you talk about the righteousness and you know having the right standard because you know in, in malaysia our constitution is considered one of the most advanced constitution at that time and it just kind of remind me of you know the founders of america they came together because they wanted to improve upon the british system mm -hmm. which was already uh, groundbreaking and i think it was benjamin franklin who said and it is so interesting he said we are doing an experiment on self-governing and our constitution is wholly inadequate for people who are not going to be righteous mm. so it's like if you have bad behaving people, no matter how good is your law, it doesn't work. And I, I remember, I think it was one of the previous episodes with Lyra. We talk about Russians. Russia has one of the most advanced law, quote unquote, but you have the president who is in control of all the entities. So you can say, oh, all the citizens have human rights, but in reality, nobody could exercise them. So I think this is something that people forget that the character, the integrity is so important. Yes, we've lost that in mm. Malaysia. And that's the thing that I constantly cry about mm -hmm. when I talk about Malaysia, when I think about Malaysia, when I even teach others about what is godly good governance and how we need to have people who really must rise up to form good government. You look at some of the nations where their government is just so wanting to create good policies. Mm, yep. And it's interesting that certain Western governments are having younger and younger people in government. Yeah. And they are really coming up with very interesting policies that are meant for the greater good. And these ones do not become career politicians. They're not career politicians. Yep. They are not treated as VIPs, <laughs> which unfortunately Malaysia is doing. I mean, yep. what is it about politicians that we should bow to them and kowtow to them like what? Why are we creating a feudal system in Malaysia? And the people create it. Yep. And it's like you see the government, it's like your eyes go, wow, you know. What, what is it about them? I mean, come on, Boris Johnson, the prime minister of the UK, he literally, he goes out by himself. Mm -hmm. He rides a bicycle. He is a normal person that mm -hmm. goes into a sundry shop to buy some things. The top leaders of Germany, of whatever, they take public transport for yeah. goodness sakes. They're normal people. Why do we look up to them like celebrities? Mm -hmm. And here in Malaysia, these governmental people are not even worth looking up to as yep. celebrities. My goodness, they're like, 
they break the law and everything, <laughs> and then we still hold them up. We uncut them so high. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, we see the the double standards even more clearly during the pandemic era. Oh my. It's Did like we not? one law for the politicians and another for the common Yeah, they can folks. break the law and nothing happens. My goodness, what is that telling everybody? Mm. I think it's really interesting you mentioned all this because it just shows how far we are away from good governance and, yes. and good governance do make a difference. And you mentioned about how the people, the voters tolerated this kind of behavior. You know, one of the American founder, he said, the people will always deserve the government they get. Yes. And unfortunately, that's true. Now, is that one of the reasons, one of the motivation why you prefer to teach young people? Yes. I mean, young people are... Easier to shift? Very willing to learn. Mm. They're very willing to learn. <laughs> they're very willing to be taught. And they're open to being taught the right things, the good things. Many young people that we have taught have strong opinions mm-hmm. and understanding about what is good government, yep. good business. Many times it's godly also. So if a person has God in their lives, they will be much less prone to do evil, of course. Yep. Yep. But then it's also understanding, having the right understanding about all these things that ail society. And we really need the young to rise up, mm-hmm. like, you know, to be nothing like this government that we've had for way too long. Now, it's interesting that just, I think a few weeks ago, you conducted a show, I mean, not a show, like a program to train young people. You oh, call yes. that Kidspreneur. Yes. So teaching them how to be entrepreneur, is, is that the objective of the program? Yes. It's way more than that. We mm. start by literally getting them to know themselves, know their mm-hmm. identity, know who they are, to become confident in who they are and to then learn to think yep. and learn to formulate proper opinions, good opinions on many things in the world and to aspire to be somebody out there, mm-hmm. to to become, let's say, a good entrepreneur, to become yep. a good business person to become a good employer to become a good mm. person overall so that this is for the betterment of society yep. so that we actually have people who have understanding out there mm. remember earlier on i said that how did we descend how did malaysia descend into this like barbaric society where people don't yep. think anymore and all they want you know the bottom line is just give me more money <laughs> and so this is a whole new generation of young people that we're training to have a mindset of, I'm not here just for myself. Mm -hmm. They're not selfish. They are here to do their part to make society way better. Yeah, yeah. And that will be good for everyone overall. Because if it's only me getting rich, what's the Mm -hmm. point? And then I'm so evil, what's the point? As I improve my life, I'm also able to bless so many other people and they improve their lives. Hey, we've got a great country. Now, I want to say this. Many, 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 many Malaysians love Malaysia. Mm -hmm. And I'm always telling this story. You know, on Malaysia Airlines, if you travel (laughs) home from overseas, when you land at KLIA, the air steward or (laughs) stewardess will say, you know, we've landed at what time the temperature is this, the local time is this, Mm -hmm. etc. And at the end, they will say, and to all Malaysians returning, we say 
welcome home. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, when they say that, it always brings tears to my eyes because I truly love Malaysia. Yep. And I know many, many, many Malaysians love Malaysia. Mm-hmm. But because of the condition we're in in Malaysia, so many have chosen to go away. Yep. They've migrated yep. overseas to all kinds of nations. And therefore, we've got this huge brain drain that we're always, mm. you know, Malaysia is always talking about this, but it's like they can't find the answer. And the answer is in good government, mm-hmm. is in good policies. It's in giving everyone a better life. But you know what? All those Malaysians who live overseas, they've migrated overseas. They love Malaysia more than even we do living here. Yep, yep. They keep up with all the news about Malaysia. Mm-hmm. They know more about what's happening here than even we do. Yep. And they really, really care. And they're always watching. And it's as if they're watching for a reason to come home. Mm-hmm. And this is our home. And, you know, so many of us, we were born here for several generations already. Yep. And we've made our lives and homes and everything here. Mm-hmm. So Malaysia is really a nation that should be prosperous. Yep. But it takes good government. It takes the people waking up. It takes the people being able to think being able to judge what is good, what is evil, Mm -hmm. what is beneficial, what is not. And it takes all of this and the people need to voice up. We've got to say when something is not right. We've got to say, hey, that is evil. Hey, you shouldn't Mm. do that. Hey, this is my nation. Hey, I have a right to have a better, more prosperous nation. And Malaysia, we've got so much. So why should we ever be anything less Mm -hmm. but more and more it's being eroded it's being taken away from us and we should stop allowing it yeah it's interesting because you know the next episode we're going to do we actually want to talk to another guest in terms of you know how do we be involved with this process of saving our nations and i think a lot of people sometimes they just think in terms of oh election but it's more than just election you know Mm. because changing government i mean 2018 everyone was on a high but we know that it's not just at that level. And we've been focusing so much on family, on, on young people, that education is so important. Oh, yes. And of course, the other thing about the Kids Printer program you were sharing with me earlier on was you are taking even very young children, seven to eight years old. Five. Five. Wow. We start them really young. To me, that's astounding because I'm just trying to think of my own life. You know, when I went to study overseas and I, I do meet many people you know at college age and they couldn't take care of themselves Mm. and they were like having the cultural shock Mm -hmm. and it's like we need to be intentional right in terms of training people so intentional equipping people yes so i I guess that's one of the things that you know from the family perspective from the education perspective maybe not much emphasis is given there you know in terms of nation building they're always talking about all government they're always talking about business but the people come out through family and then education at yes. a very early age. Yes. And would you agree that that is when we really need to challenge and shift people? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. People need to be educated properly, taught mm. properly, not just about all the subjects that you get at school. Yep. Sorry, a lot <laughs> of it is useless <laughs> for life. Um, but the thing we train the young people in mm. is really practical stuff. It's really learning how to think for themselves, how to look at something and determine, like I said earlier on, whether it's good or evil and what do I do about it? And to be able to do their part in society, Mm -hmm. to better the society. So 
education was something that I never thought would be anything I would be part <laughs> of. But more and more, I realize that I need to be part of this kind of training, which is very fun, very practical. And the young people learn so fast and they love it. And we see them literally change within mm -hmm. a short, short time to become confident young people who have a heart for mm -hmm. the nation, for other people. Now, we've been talking about so much about the root issue. I, I know we started off by, you know, wanting to tackle the abortion issue, but we actually went deeper even, you know, mm -hmm. into the foundational issue. Mm -hmm. But I want to, you know, it's just like that our time is almost up. Mm -hmm. But I want to finish with this line of thinking. Again, going back to the Rose case, when the federal right of abortion was given in the 70s, one thing leads to another. Yep. You know, it started always. off with early terms and now they are saying that you can even kill the baby 30 days after they were born. Oh Some states. Pure murder. Pure so, murder. So, Evil. So when we talk about this sort of militant agenda, because that's what we are seeing, not only in terms of abortion, right? We are seeing that with the LGBT push mm. and we're seeing that with religious push because it's always like that. Where any group, okay, I'm talking about ideology in general when they are in the minority, they will say, oh, it's for right, you should accept me. But the moment they have the momentum, they have the influence, they control the university, they control the media, then it all becomes militant. My way or you get out, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I want to finish off with this because in terms of training the people, should we be training them to have that kind of war mindset? Because it is a war, right? I mean, it is. I just find that a lot of the young people, you know, my boss likes to use the word, you know, how can a person handle self-stress? Hmm. And I just find that a lot of time, people are not being trained how to handle stress, how to war in such a way that will cause a prevailing. Do you think that is part of the training that we need to teach people? Yes, this is what we train the young people. Mm -hmm. Literally from day one, I say that. Yeah. You're not here for a fun kiddies camp or whatever yeah. you are here you're literally in the army and some of them are like you know their eyes go really big and like oh <laughs> i am like what did i sign up for but then they thoroughly love it but we challenge them to go high levels mm -hmm. we challenge them to be able to do things they never thought they could do yep. and we realize that the five-year-old can do things that the 17 year old or 18 year old mm. can do yeah as long as they work together and they're just so ready so willing so able to do their part and they don't just tag along each one of the young people literally do mm. their part yeah and we're always surprised and we shouldn't be but we're always nicely surprised that they're just so amazing mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah. really, it takes a lot of this kind of training. So they understand that they need to be the best of the best of the best of the yeah. best. And they need to be the ones that are able to think, to give their opinion, to actually even change the world that yeah. they live in. So yes, education is key. And you're training them to have critical thinking. Yes, and more I think and more and more. That is the one thing that is so lacking in the last two years. When the pandemic hit, and all of a sudden, the thinking is thrown out of the window? It's really because the Malaysian school system from the 80s started mm. to, be, to really go down. Yep. And more and more and more, the education system became like the Confucius kind of yep. education. Memorize, memorize, mm. memorize, pass your exam. That's it. Yep. So when you do that, you don't have critical thinking. You don't have opinions. You are not able to look at something and mm. decide. 
Yeah. Oh, is this good? Is this bad? Is this whatever? Mm-hmm. So we need to revamp. We need to reform the education system more than, you know, even yeah. anything else first. And then people will not be so barbaric thinking minded and people will be more able to look at something critically yeah. and be able to call it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also I think one of the things is really at the end of the day, there has to be a standard also because, you know, whenever we talk about abortions or gay, right, you know, all those kind of things, you know, it's not a discrimination, but when you allow it to be such a common thing, you are actually creating a slippery road. Mm. You know, the standard is being eroded. And, you know, that's what they were saying, right? I mean, you talk about the early days of the LGBT because here we always talk about the history. When people fail to recognize history, they were bound to repeat themselves. So every time someone came out with a new right, they would say, oh, we are here peacefully. And all of a sudden, they are kind of taking over. And that's where, you know, you're talking about how you train the kids to think. And in some ways, you are causing them to be able to argue things, to have even polemic kind of processing. Mm-hmm. I find that even with my own son, you know, we talk about things that is just so prevalent, you know, climate change. Uh, not after COVID, the next big thing is they're talking about climate sustainability because they want to say how much carbon you can produce because they will start to say, oh, then you can only use the car X amount of time. You cannot eat meat. You know, it's all behavior control. There's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. It has been around since the ancient times, since the Tower of Babel, in fact the control system. Yep. But what I find really encouraging um, because I think my son also attended the kids' printer, mm-hmm. but also on a day-to-day basis, we're always treating them as adults, you know, just oh, yes. kind of talk sense to them. And yes. all of a sudden, you realize they started to have more critical thinking. Yes. yes. And, and you find that also, right? Never treat children as children. Mm-hmm. And yes, we do need to teach people to have critical thinking. Actually, that is the whole purpose of university. Mm -hmm. That, you know, if you look at, think of all your university exams, it's always, ta-da-da-da-da, this is a problem. No matter what, (laughs) which subject you're studying, this is a problem. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the solution you propose? That is really bottom line. And so many times there's no absolute correct or Mm -hmm. incorrect answer. But at the end of the day, you need to give a good opinion based on what you have studied. Yep. And so after all, that's what the world is about, right? The world just needs solutions. So we mm. need to be the solution givers and not just the ones who go, oh, help, what <laughs> do I do? And too many people are in that category in Malaysia. Yep, yep. And we shouldn't be that. Yep, so yep. there is hope for Malaysia, if, mm. you know, but then people need to really wake up. And we need to stop running away from Malaysia yep. and go hide out in Australia or somewhere. <laughs> By the way, Australia is not in a good place either. No. I had my cousin called me recently and really crying about the condition there and saying, how did Australia become like this? Such a controlling, you know, dictator style state, <laughs> you know, where the government was just getting really crazy over yeah, the COVID it, issue. It is. And they said, we came here for freedom and we haven't got any of it now. I said, yeah, you all sound worse than Malaysia. And that's saying a lot. So Australia, Canada, mm, UK, mm, the supposed bastion of Western democracies. And freedom. Freedom. And 
So it's very strange, but also an interesting time. Now I want to end with this because we have been talking about nation buildings very often in this show, and now of course today we kind of zoom into the family. I mean, we wanted to use abortion as a foundation for the discussion, but we sort of went into the more foundation issue, which is totally fine. We talk about children, but of course the parents also. You know, we always say this that. You know, to be a doctor, you need seven, ten years training to be teachers, to be engineer. But all of a sudden, to be parents, which is probably one of the most important job in the whole world. Mm-hmm. No training, no mm-hmm. preparation. Mm-hmm. Just throw into the deep end. Swim. Swim <laughs> on your own. Yeah, that's why every time we talk about nation building, people, you know, we talk about we need reformation. They talk about concept like tipping point. They talk about governmental level, financial level. Yet. Today we are focusing on the fabric of family. I want to end with this. You know what is your hope in terms of, you know what kind of reform, what kind of changes are you hoping? I guess my question is really, what are you feeling? You know, in terms of what can happen, what are the potential in terms of really big changes in the family arena that will actually cause our nation to be shifted. We've been seeing for years families getting reconciled to each other, family mm-hmm. members. We've seen husbands and wives getting reconciled, getting healed, yep. healed of their internal issues, their mm-hmm. emotional issues, and then getting reconciled to each other. And that is something that is always the foundation of mm. any society. Yep. You destroy the marriage, you destroy the home, the family unit. You've destroyed the very basis of. Of society, yeah, and every problem that can then arise in society is caused by that. Mm-hmm. So we really need to restore that first yeah. before anything else. Then comes education. Mm-hmm. Then comes business or government and all these other areas. But before you do anything else, we got to go back down to basics. And that's why one of the things that is most on my heart mm-hmm. is that restoration of the marriages and restoration of families. And we've got to keep on not just teaching people, but training people to teach others. Yep. That is always so important because the work is so big, but the results are so tremendous. And the healing, the restoration, and all of that happen way faster mm. than than even what we can imagine. And most Malaysians are very, very willing yep. to have this happen. So if people are willing, it all happens way faster. Mm. And it's such a joy to be able to be part of their journey towards healing, restoration, and all of that. And yep. it is so important. Otherwise, the broken people tend to be so much weaker, mm-hmm. so much more easy to be deceived, so much more easy to be controlled. And that is what we don't want moving forward for Malaysia. Yep. We've already come into that more and more and more and more now. We're seeing that in the last five to ten years, more and more and more Malaysians are like, I can't do anything, I'm not going to do anything, and they just literally lie down and and die. And I always love what Apostle Lance Wallnow talks about. He says, and he deals with, you know, all the different parts of society, and he says this, he says, never look to the government Mm -hmm. for business, for anything else. You look to government for good policies, but don't look to them to do business. And in Malaysia, this couldn't be more true. Every business the government has tried to be in has failed dramatically. (laughs) dramatically. And so we need to never look to government for that. 
you want to look for any innovations, for any new ideas, for any changes, for any business things, look to the business people. Yep, yep. And there are so many with wonderful ideas. So the government provides all the policies and all of that, and of course the relevant funding, but the government has to take its fingers out yep. of the projects. And the sooner it does that, the better it will be for Malaysia. So these are really some very basic mm. things that need to happen. And we've got to raise up the people to do that. The correct people, the yep. ones who are gifted in this area, the ones who have a heart for this area, the ones who can do it, ought to do it. So Malaysians, stop running away from <laughs> Malaysia. Stop creating the brain drain. Yep. Yes. Michelle, I'm really encouraged by the way you sum out because at the end of the day, you know, especially after the pandemic, we are really at that juncture where we have to decide, do we want big government or are we going to learn to be independent? Are we going to learn to be a self-starter? Mm. And I think that's really the question for Malaysian because so many people are still crying out for handout. You know, with inflation, they're saying, give me more money. But that's not the way. The way is to improve yourself, to do all the things necessary so that the nation becomes good. Yes, so stop asking for fish. Yeah. Learn to fish. And that's always been what we do. We train others to become mm. so self-sufficient. That's why we have said a few times already that socialist tendency is so dangerous in this land. Mm. And that's one of the things I really felt 2018 when we have a new federal government, that unfortunately there is that tendency coming from the new government, mm. you know, because that's the way of the world. That's the trend. That's basically the European Union government are all like that. They have become socialists. Mm. They call themselves democratic socialists, actually. Oh my. And yes. we have seen the result, a very small window of microcosm with the pandemic. This is what happens when you give government too much power. Yes. They can cause you to do anything they want. It's only two years. And now people seem to forget, but we should never forget. Yes, and we should never. And we need to not allow socialism to mm. kill creativity, to kill new fresh ideas. Yep. Malaysians are actually, you know, if you look at it recently in the last, especially during the two years of COVID, Malaysians have been winning all kinds of awards mm. everywhere. Yep. More and more Malaysians are being rewarded and awarded all kinds of, you know, recognition and prizes for wonderful work mm. in every kind of area, even from entertainment to scientific breakthroughs, yep. to all kinds of amazing things. But then again, they had to be away. They mm. had to be in another nation for this to happen. Yep. That is just such a shame for Malaysia to have, you know, to literally like cause these people to mm. run away to another land to do this. Yep. So Malaysians are not without great ideas, are not without creativity, but the system here, especially mm. education to start it all off, yep. um, and government, they don't help at all. That's right. And instead, what has been created in Malaysia from the 80s, 1980s, is this awful education system and even bad government mm. to cause the people to become more and more reliant yep. on others and not themselves. So we have lost a lot mm. of creative abilities, the fresh new ideas and all of that. And we should never, ever do that. People are our greatest mm -hmm. asset. People will create the new things, will create the new money coming in. So we should never put people last. We always yep. have to put people first. And so we need to stop looking just to create the money or rather 
we need to stop just wanting the money and then forget the people. Mm. It doesn't work like that. It's so interesting that, you know, it is almost 75 years after World War II and all the sudden people kind of forgot that they were fighting against socialism, they were fighting against mm. tyranny. Mm-hmm. And in just one or two generations, everything fought can be lost. So I'm really glad that you know, you're highlighting all these things and the need to really educate and teach the young people. And, and you know, even adults. Yeah, even adults. You know, we're not saying that adults cannot be shifted and things mm. like that, but it's just easier to start with the young people. I think yes. that is generally true. Yes. Michelle, it has been really great. And you know, I, I think even though we have talked about so many problems, but we both still remain positive in terms of what the nation can be. Absolutely. Malaysia can come into the fullness of her greatness. Malaysia can be great. Mm-hmm. And we, the Malaysians, must believe that. Yeah. And yeah. we must hold on to that. And we need to do our part. And we need to stop being so selfish, stop being so greedy, stop only thinking of me, myself and I, me, myself and my family. We need to think wider, bigger, larger, higher, deeper towards the whole of society and do our part, play our part. And that's what everyone really needs to do. We can have that perfect nation. Do you remember, um, I think it was at least 20 or more years ago, South Africa came to look at Malaysia mm-hmm. for its model yeah. of how different races can live together. Yeah, that's right. And they called us that perfect nation that can mm. do that. And then, of course, some forces in this nation started to dismantle that very thing that South Africa praised us for yep. and started to bring in the racial divide and all of that. That's right. But even then, Malaysians still love each other. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The races still love each other. We never look at each other as being that different. Yep. And we thoroughly love having friends of all races. And nobody understands racism in school until some evil person teaches us to not go near them. Yep, yep. And then suddenly we're not friends anymore. Mm-hmm. That is just horrible. This kind of thing has to end in Malaysia. And everybody still with a brain intact <laughs> or one brain cell intact <laughs> needs to rise up and do our part to keep that alive. Because, you know, if South Africa can praise us, we want even more nations to praise us. We have to be that model nation for other nations. We are supposed to be the rainbow mm. nation of Asia. Yep. Meaning we are the nation in Asia with different races that can live peacefully, harmoniously together. We can prosper together. Why not? And that's exactly what America did. Yep. Um, they brought in, and even Singapore, mm. they let anyone come in who is able, yep. who has merit on their own abilities, regardless of your nationality, your background, your skin color or whatever, they let you in. And yep. that is exactly what we need. That is exactly what we need. And that is how we can get to keep our people in this nation where we can prosper together. So that is the Malaysia that I hope for, that I pray for, that Mm. I teach about because it is possible. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, people just want to have that freedom to pursue happiness wherever they are. And peace. Don't forget peace. Peace and happiness. Yes. Yes. To be able to live in peace and to be able to prosper and be happy together. In fact, that's one of the first thing that you get when you rent a property, right? You're supposed to have that. Yes. Peace. The landlord should not come <laughs> kachow kachow you. Yeah, suddenly <laughs> we are bringing out our legal oh, head yes, again. Absolutely. But Michelle, it's been so great for you to join our show. And I think 
just from the conversation, there are many, many more things we can talk about and mm. we will surely want to bring you back for more yeah, episodes. I would love that. And I believe that you'll be doing your own show in near future also. So yes, we, definitely. We, so we look forward to some collaboration in that respect. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so that's all for now and until next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.